Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. If you missed last week's episode about the great glitter mystery, stop right now. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go listen to that right now and then come back for this sweet, sweet bonus content. But if you did listen to The Great Glitter Mystery, you are in for some extra sparkle right now, my friends. <laughs> As you heard in the episode, we went down a lot of rabbit holes, and we talked to a lot of people while we were trying to figure out the largest mystery customer of a New Jersey glitter manufacturer named Glitterex. During our quest, it became clear that some of the people we talked to, the rabbit holes we dove down, could be episodes in and of themselves, which is how we get today's snack time about someone who told us without any clues that he thought Glitterex's largest customer was connected to the paint industry. That would be my guess. Whose guess? Ed Jones's guess. Well, I, I hope I could give a good guess. Ed better hope he could give a good guess because he's got credentials. You want us to present those credentials? Ed's got what is thought to be the largest glitter collection in the world. More than a thousand unique samples. How do you store all of this, Ed? I'm picturing like a just shelves and shelves and shelves of little <laughs> glass jars. You'd be, you'd be shocked. I have almost all thousand in a three ring binder. Wow, so just very small samples, huh? If you can picture a uh, clear plastic sheet with three holes punched on it yep. with uh, 20 slots. Coin collectors use them ah. to put their coins in. Well, what I use is those same sheets. Ed's interest, obsession with glitter, started with an obsession with microscopes. I'm kind of addicted to the microscope. I belong to microscope clubs, and I make things for the microscope and under the microscope. Glitter is so fun to look at under the microscope because it's man-made, and you can make it in all these visually exciting forms, which you really don't see with the naked eye, but under the microscope, they become apparent. And I've collected it for many, many years and used it in my artwork. Oh, what kind of art do you make? Uh, microscope slides that usually spell something out in... Uh, 12-point Times New Roman print. I'd spell out like uh, LAMS uh, 2001, and I'd, the letter L would consist of maybe 30 or 40 different little micro-objects, and then A, the same thing, and then MS, and then the, the year. And I would put that all on a microscope slide, which would just be normal size print. Whoa. Whoa, so it looks, when you look at it not under a microscope, it just looks like regular writing, and then you put it under the microscope, then you and you go, see... Ooh. <laughs> Ed has a lot of experience with microscopes because, well... I'm a retired scientist from the Ventura Sheriff's Crime Lab, and I'm a forensic scientist. A forensic scientist with a love for glitter and a specialty in trace evidence. Well, the funny way to describe trace evidence is anything that doesn't bleed or go bang. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In reality, trace evidence is pretty much anything which can be compared and or analyzed. Even though trace implies it's small, sometimes we deal with very large things. The common thinking of trace evidence is hairs, fibers, soil, building materials, 
falls into the same category as all trace evidence in that any time there is a contact, there is a transfer. A transfer as in, oh, hey, were you around glitter earlier today? How did I know? Oh, because it's all over you. And in all cases involving trace evidence, there's always the triangle between victim, suspect, and crime scene. And you're always trying to link those three together. And one of the reasons why glitter is so good is because it's so small and it's so hard to clean up. And because it's so hard to clean up, glitter actually helped solve a murder case that Ed worked on back in 2001. The victim, Megan Barroso, had red glitter in her hair a remnant of the 4th of July party she was on her way home from at the time. And the suspect, Vincent Sanchez, hadn't cleaned out his truck well enough afterwards. I actually found glitter on her. The scalp actually peels off of the, uh, off of the skull in that form of, of degradation. I was looking through the scalp under the microscope, and I was picking out the glitter there. And I picked out 10 glitter particles out of her hair with the forceps under the microscope and used those for comparison against the stuff from the tape lifts from his truck. The trace evidence triangle, victim, suspect, crime scene, was complete. Although Ed has retired from forensic science, his glitter collection could still serve as a useful crime-solving tool. In fact, part of it came from a former colleague of his at the Ventura Crime Lab. He went off to one of these major companies that manufacture the glitter, and he actually got like 150 different samples from them and was able to pay for them through the California Association of Criminalists, and then he distributed those samples, and I got those samples as a nice chunk into my collection. While Ed couldn't ultimately help us solve our own glitter mystery, he still gets to be listed on the Wikipedia page for glitter for that beast of a three-ring binder glitter collection. And he can share in our frustration over the general secrecy in the industry. Whenever I was doing my collecting and buying them, whenever I buy them, it doesn't really say who manufactures it. It just says who distributes it. Oh, wow. Which is really kind of difficult for any kind of serious tracking or tracing. A little suspicious, if you ask me. Little bit, though given everything we have learned about the glitter industry at this point, not shocking. All that glitters is none of your damn business. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next week... Who hijacked the airwaves of a Chicago TV station 32 years ago to broadcast a video of a guy wearing a Max headroom mask and saying things like this? We actually don't know, but we're on the case. We will report back next week. 